if uh, the PA fellows can put the map up on the uh, board for us, we're going to uh, continue with our study in Acts 19. Um, as the offering is being taken, just some quick announcements. Ladies, don't forget, this coming Saturday from 1 to 3 o'clock, there is a bridal shower for Molly Rogers here at the church cafeteria. Uh, there's a sign-up on the church bulletin board, and they started a new sheet. Uh, so if you've not yet signed up, please do so. Uh, this coming Sunday, we're going to start our new convert slash discipleship class. Brother John Snow will be teaching that. And uh, if you or someone you know might be interested in this, it's going to be a great opportunity to get grounded uh, in the important doctrines of the Christian life. Uh, and that'll be this Sunday in room 206. That's on the first floor of the educational wing. We have two opportunities to go soul winning this week, Friday at 345, Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. Uh, let me encourage you to come for one or both of those. You do not have to wait until organized soul winning time to pass out gospel tracts and be a witness. Uh, there's something about going out with other believers uh, in an organized manner and so let me encourage you to come and to join us and be a part of that if you possibly can. Did you find Acts chapter 19 yet? All right, Acts chapter 19. This is the account of Paul's ministry in the city of Ephesus. And uh, we've been uh, working through this for the last few weeks. Ephesus is located right there in this large red section that in the Bible, this section was referred to as Asia. Today, we think of Asia as China, uh, the Koreas, and, and uh, Japan, and so on and so forth. But that was what that is the region uh, that was known as Asia. The, um, Ephesus was Paul's longest ministry in his lifetime. Uh, well over two years were spent uh, in that important place. Uh, we learn from verse number 10 that this was a ministry with a great soul winning emphasis. Notice what it says in verse 10. This continued by the space of two years so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Um, they got the gospel out into that massive region that is today half of the country of Turkey. They did so without the printed page. They did so without electronic communications or social media. It was all word of mouth. It was preaching. It was soul winning. Uh, it was door to door, house to house, and they spread it all through that region uh, the great churches of Asia that are listed in Revelation 2 and 3, the seven churches of Asia, were all established during this time. It appears from what we know that Paul stayed in Ephesus during that entire ministry. So his converts were the ones that spread out and uh, helped plant these churches. Many of them probably came to Ephesus for the worship of Diana of the Ephesians in that massive temple while there got exposed to the gospel, got saved and went back to their hometowns, taking the gospel with them, planting churches and so forth. Uh, the church at Colossae uh, was established during this time to which the book of Colossians and Philemon were both written to that church and to individuals in the church. Great soul winning church. We saw in verses 11 and 12, uh, the, the special miracles uh, that were uh, uh, worked by the Apostle Paul. Remember, miracles were God's way of confirming that the message of the apostles was the truth of God. 
The New Testament was beginning to be put down in, in pen and paper. The Holy Spirit was giving that, but it wasn't completed. And so we've looked many times, Hebrews chapter two, verse four, God confirmed the word of the apostles with these miracles. Uh, we saw in verses 13 through 17, there were some spiritual counterfeiters came along. Uh, and you and I are supposed to be wary. The devil always has a counterfeit. Uh, you ought not be getting your doctrine off the internet. Uh, you and I are, are, are to be very, very careful about these things. And they, the seven sons of this man named Sceva uh, came in trying to cast out demons because Paul did so. And it was amazing. The evil spirit said, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but I have no idea who you are. And how did that end up for those seven guys? Yeah, the demon-possessed guy beat the living daylights out of them, ripped their clothes off, and they went running off in terror. Verse 17, this was known to all the Jews in the Greek, and Greeks, also dwelling at Ephesus, at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. We saw in verses 18 through 20, the spectacular transformations that took place in the lives of these people. Uh, we spent a little time last week how those that were involved in the occult, in the, uh, the witchcraft, in the demonic activities that always uh, was involved in the pagan uh, religions of those days, uh, they brought their curious arts and books together, burned them uh, before all men. This wasn't like in, in somebody's backyard. It was a public thing. The Bible says before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Can anybody remember how much that would be today? About a million dollars. Why didn't they just sell it? Yeah, it was bad. They didn't, they want to sell it and put it into the hands of other people uh, and, you know, and, and pass along the wickedness. And um, th this transformation had an effect. Verse 20, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. This was, a, this was an, a, a, an amazing ministry. The Lord is very, very much at work. Um, and as you will see in, in, in tonight's Bible study, anytime the Lord is at work, the enemy is also at work. The devil doesn't take days off. He doesn't go on vacation. Um, and and you, just, you just sort of plan on it. I, I sometimes get worried if I'm not experiencing some opposition. I, I wonder, am I really doing what God wants me to do? Because anytime you do, the devil's not far behind. In verses 21 and 22, we have a little bit of an interlude. This will be new material tonight. Look at verse 21. After these things were ended, two years have gone by. We've read the account of some of the things that took place in that great church. The Bible says Paul purposed in the spirit. That's little s. Talking about within his spirit. He purposed within his spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Now remember on Paul's second missionary journey, he bypassed Asia and came to this place called Troas. And from there, he went to Macedonia, started the church at Philippi, then Thessalonica, then Berea. Then he traveled down to Athens. And then he spent a year and a half or so in Corinth. This is Macedonia and Achaia. Um, Paul is, 
he's been in Ephesus for a couple of years. God's done a great thing. He's purposed in spirit that he wants to go back to Macedonia and Achaia. Can anybody guess why? From what we know of our study of him and his other journeys, why would he go back to those areas? Yeah, he's going back to confirm and strengthen those believers. So that was his plan. Uh, after he was done with that, then he wanted to go back down to Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem, he wanted to go to Rome, which is somewhere over here. It just doesn't show up on this map, and we'll, we'll get that at a later date. Um, so that's his plan. He is purposed in his spirit. He's determined that, that that's what the Lord would have him to do. Verse 22, so he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. So, um, so Paul is uh, gonna go there, but he sends to, uh, Timothy and this guy Erastus over uh, pretty much maybe to lay some groundwork to let these churches know, hey, I just want you to know Paul is coming back. Uh, he's looking forward to seeing you. He did not forget about you and they will make the journey uh, and so forth. And of course, then after that, it's Jerusalem and it's off to Rome. Paul had a tremendous burden for Rome. He really did. Rome was the capital of the ancient world at that time. And uh, that's where the seat of power was. And uh, it, it just always seemed to be a part of his heart. Keeping your place in Acts 19, turn to Romans 1 for a moment. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 8. This is Paul writing. There were some believers already there. At the writing of the book of Romans, Paul hasn't met them yet. So he's just writing to them. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Isn't that amazing? Paul is praying for people he's never met. He just knows they're there. And evidently, the believers in Rome had a testimony that had spread and other people knew about them. And Paul is praying for people he didn't even know. Um, I don't know if Paul wrote his prayer list out. I'm of the age I have to write every list out. Um, I can go to the grocery store and I need to get two things and I will invariably forget one of them until I get home, uh, that type of thing. But if he wrote his prayer list out, I, I would like to have seen how long it was. Read through his letters and the people and the churches that that man prayed for. Um, that encourages me when we have the nations of the world in our prayer list. Do you realize praying for them, that's a biblical thing to do. That's the kind of thing the apostle Paul did. Moving on, verse 10, making requests. If by any means now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you, for I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Paul said, I, I really want to be there. He's an apostle. He is sent forth by the Lord uh, as the Lord's uh, representative and ambassador. And he wanted to go there 
and minister to these people. And he also went to get to know them. He knew that being around them would encourage him as well. Verse 13. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto. The word let means held back, uh, almost forbidden. I was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. So Paul had this deep burden for them and he purposed that he was gonna get there. Now in his mind, he figured going to Rome would be the same as his other missionary trips. You know, he and his companions would get in a ship and set sail and go across the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, as we'll see as the book of Acts unfolds, he's going to get there, but it's not going to be the way he had planned. And yes, he will get there by ship. Um, after a shipwreck on the way and a few other stops, he would arrive in chains. Uh, he would have an amazing ministry in Rome, and we'll get to that in, in the later part of the study of the book of Acts. But again, going back to Acts 19, this was a burden on his heart. He had purposed in spirit that he was going to go there, be a part of that. So he sends Timothy and Erastus to Macedonia and Achaia. He stays in Ephesus, and uh, then all of a sudden, uh, lots and lots of trouble uh, is going to break forth. Look, if you would, let's pick it up, verse 23. About the same time, there arose no small stir about that way. Now, in Acts uh, 11, we saw the, Christian, or the, the believers were being called Christians, but oftentimes they referred to them as the people of that way. Um, it, was just, it was just sort of a, a designation because they weren't, some of them were Jewish and some of them were Gentiles and they were all together and the, the preaching they had of the resurrection was something brand new uh, and so forth. So they just called them that way. And uh, there's some trouble brewing in Ephesus for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Remember, the temple of Diana or Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. People from all over Asia, they, they worshiped heavily this false goddess. But throughout the Roman Empire, this temple was very well known and many people made pilgrimages and stuff there. And so like any big destination like that, they had to have their tourist traps and they had to have their souvenir stands. I mean, you go to Disney World and you have to buy, you know, your snow globe with the, you know, uh, Cinderella's castle in there or Sleeping Beauty's castle or whatever it was or get your mug or your Mickey Mouse ears. These guys made little shrines to this goddess Diana. Uh, some scholars think that they were actually a miniature uh, of the temple uh, itself. Others that uh, these shrines included um, uh, a miniaturization of that deformed statue that was probably a meteorite that they claim fell from heaven. Well, the silversmiths made a lot of money. 
You're talking thousands and thousands of people every day coming into this city to worship there, heading back home. And so they're selling these things, making a lot of money. He said, sirs, look at verse 25 again. Ye know that by this craft, we have our wealth. Now notice verse 26. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they, they be no gods which are made with hands. We saw earlier here that the Lord, the Bible gives a testimony, all they which heard in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now you have a bunch of unsaved silversmiths, and you understand that they are, they are testifying that what we learned earlier in the Bible is true. They're recognizing that so many people have gotten saved that business is falling off. Um, I understand to my joy that a certain beer company has lost billions of dollars in the last couple weeks. I'm happy about that, and I don't care what the reason is. I told you a couple weeks ago, I've been boycotting Budweiser ever since I got saved. Uh, you know, that type of thing. Um, you know, and of course, you know, they're all kind of sort of wising up thinking that maybe woke isn't such a good idea. Let's go back to sleep uh, type thing. Do you realize it's the unsaved people making money off of this pagan religion who's saying so many people are getting saved. They don't buy our things anymore. Um, there's been a great change since I've been born again. Isn't that a wonderful testimony? Again, remember Anytime God's doing work, you're going to rouse the devil and his crowd up, and it's happening here in Ephesus. So this guy, Demetrius, has got the craftsmen together. He says, verse 27, so that not only this, our craft, is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. I think it's almost hilarious. His first concern is, dudes, we're losing money. Oh, yeah, and, and you know, don't forget about the great goddess Diana. And, and also he talks about her magnificent. I, I have I've researched and tried to read about this uh, temple of Artemis in, in Ephesus and the image in there. The ancient historian said this image was grotesquely ugly. It, it, they said it was just... You almost had to use your imagination that this thing was a, a, a feminine type item, but it was grotesquely ugly. And he describes her now in her magnificence. I guess beauty's in the eye of the beholder. You know, I don't know how that works. Um, but I do think it's kind of funny. Uh, he talks about, you know, we're losing money on her. Oh, yeah, and the great goddess Diana. Um, and kind of he's uh, backtracked on himself. He says the whole world worships her but in verse 26, he said, not so much anymore. Too many people are getting saved. Verse 28, and when they, that's his fellow craftsmen, heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So these guys decided to stage a protest. They decided to make some noise. So you got these individuals together and they begin to cry out. They're making a lot of sound. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Verse 29. And the whole city was filled with confusion. Um, there's, there's a hubbub going on. 
and more and more people are getting involved in it and, and, and you hear this, this chant getting picked up and so forth and, and the whole city's trying to figure out what's, what's going on because sadly for them, CNN wasn't there to tell them the truth of what was going on. Um, that was said facetiously, you do understand that. Um, and and you, we'll see later on, they, they really had no idea that the average person, what was going on. So the city's filled with confusion. There is a riot breaking out. You realize with masses of people, it often doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. Um, it, is, it is said that it, with a lot of the riots that took place in 2020, 2021, Especially, you know, the night that uh, of the election when, uh, you know, Donald Trump was, was designated as the winner. Uh, in some cities, riots broke out instantaneously. And, and uh, a number of reports came out that uh, pallets full of bricks just showed up. And nobody even remembered, you know, a truck coming in with a forklift unloading these things. It's just all of a sudden, there's a pallet of bricks and it's just like, hey, we got bricks, let's start throwing them. And the crowd is just going wild and all the violence breaks out. This is happening in Ephesus over the gospel. Riots can get out of hand very quickly. People can get hurt, people can die. Um, and that's actually gonna be one of the goals of this. The Bible says, verse 29, the whole city was filled with confusion and having caught Gaius, and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. Now, Gaius and Aristarchus, the Bible says they're men of Macedonia. They're some of Paul's earlier converts from these, these cities here. We don't know which church they came from. It could have been Thessalonica, could have been Philippi or Berea. The Bible doesn't say, but these men have now joined Paul in Ephesus. They're part of his team. Uh, they're part of that church there. And uh, the Bible doesn't say how they got involved in this. Maybe wrong place at the wrong time. It might be that these two guys were staying in the vicinity where this was breaking out and, and the rioters, someone knew that and went to the homes and brought them out. But, but however it was, they grabbed them and they rushed with them with one accord into the theater. There was a stadium that was built in Ephesus. Uh, I read some accounts in the last week or so. That stadium is still used today, 2,000 years later. They built things to last. Brother Buddy, you may have the privilege. I don't know if Caesarea Philippi is, or I'm sorry, Caesarea is on your itinerary. That was our first stop there. Uh, Herod the Great built Caesarea, um, and the aqueduct bringing water in is still there, still working. Um, there was also a, a stadium, Colosseum-type structure there, uh, that while we were there, they were getting it ready for a concert that night. And it was built by Herod the Great um, uh, somewhere around 7 BC. Um, they built things to last. The theater um, in Ephesus seated about 25,000 people. Okay, so it's not like, you know, they're, they're, they're moving into a little room or somebody's backyard. Uh, there may have been tens of thousands of people involved. Verse 30, when Paul would have entered in with the people, the disciples suffered or allowed 
him not. Um, Paul was concerned, of course, about his companions, Gaius and Aristarchus. Paul was also concerned about making sure the gospel message went out uh, loud and clear. Paul never backed away from a fight, never backed away from this type of confrontation. But the other believers in the city, they would not allow him to go. Perhaps in their mind, they realized if they get Paul and they kill Paul, then, you know, the idea is, you know, smite the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. And they said, we need to protect him at all costs. Verse 31, and certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends. These would be possibly political leaders. They may or may not have been saved, but at any rate, they were Paul's friends. They respected him. They knew him. Uh, they cared about him and they understood the volatility of what was going on. The Bible says they sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. So he's got disciples saying, Paul, don't, please, please, please don't go in there. It, it's out of control. He's got what appear to be some political people saying, Paul, you need to be wise. Stay out of there. Just completely stay out of there. It's not a safe place to be. Verse 32. Some, therefore, this is in this theater, cried one thing and some another. So they're all shouting back and forth. They're not all sure why they're there. They don't know which side they're on. And, you know, you know how can rumors can fly and get started and, and, and so forth. And so they're, they're just trying to figure it out. For the assembly was confused. And the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. Most people had no idea that this was about Demetrius, the silversmith, mad about all these people getting saved, not buying their wares anymore and, and so forth. You know, a lot of people just say, hey, there's something going on. There's a lot of noise down there. And they just kind of walked in somewhat oblivious to what the purpose of this was. But to the organizer of the protest, this looked good for them. It's like, look how many people we've got with us, even though most of them, the Bible says, didn't know why they were there. Verse 33. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. Now, this is an interesting situation. This man, Alexander, we don't know much about him, um, just other than his name. It is a Greek name. Um, and uh, somewhere in that multitude of people, this guy, Alexander, came. It appears that he was a believer because at the end of verse 33, he wanted to make his defense before the people. But he is being put forward by the Jews. Now remember, the riot was started by the silversmiths, the pagans. But go back, if you would, a few verses in verse number eight. This is when Paul's ministry really began in Ephesus. He went into the synagogue, spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers, that means people within that synagogue were hardened, and believed not, but spake evil of that way, there's that phrase again, before the multitude, he departed from them. So the unbelieving Jews that had already rejected the gospel a long two years prior, 
they are seeing an, an opportunity now to let's just get rid of these Christians once and for all. Maybe that Alexander had been part of their synagogue. Um, he may have been a uh, Greek proselyte uh, to the Jewish faith, got him saved, and somehow they got a hold of him. They're bringing him out, and when it says they put him forward, the idea is there, they didn't want him coming uh, you know, speaking and sharing the gospel and defending the Christians and so forth. They were putting him forward with Gaius and Aristarchus saying, here's one more. We got another one for you. They are hoping to watch a persecution really break forth against the believers in this church. Alexander, verse 33, beckoned with his hand, probably went like this, you know, maybe waving his arms like this, trying to get everybody's attention. I've got something I want to say to you and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, I was wrong. He was not a proselyte. He was Jewish who had converted all with one voice about the space of two hours, cried out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole crowd's now getting this. They, they still aren't sure what it's about, but, uh, you know, you want to be on the same team. So, you know, they're, they're all shouting, great is Diana the Ephesians, just over and over and over again, probably doing the wave, uh, you know, whatever they, they did in those particular days um, and, and so forth. This is loud. Can you imagine 25,000 people at the top of their lungs, two hours of that? This had to have been exhausting. This had to have been difficult. This had to have been terrifying for Alexander and Gaius, and Aristarchus, who are in the midst of this frenzied mob, uh, mobs, there's no control over them. There's no law and order in a mob, that type of thing. And that went on uh, and so forth. By the way, um, interesting, Diana of the Ephesians never stepped in to defend herself. I wonder why. Oh, that's because she's fake. Brother Tim's been teaching us in Sunday school about Gideon, Judges chapter 6. The night he was, if you will, called to the ministry, called to become a judge, that very same night, God's first command to him was, I want you to go to your father's grove that he has built for Baal in the idol. I want you to cut down the grove and destroy your father's idol. And the Bible says Job, or Gideon took some of his servants with him uh, and they went by night uh, because he was afraid of what people would say. They cut down all the trees around this idol. They destroyed the, the uh, idol of Baal. They built an altar. They sacrificed a bullock on that altar. And the next morning, the men of the city got up and they said, who's done this? Who's destroyed our idol? Who's cut down our grove and all that? And somebody snitched on Gideon, said that's who it was. And they went to Gideon's dad and said, bring him out so that we can kill him. He needs to die for what he, he did. And apparently Gideon's dad got right with God uh, somehow overnight or that morning. He said, um, let Baal plead for himself. If Baal's really a god, let him defend himself. And of course, Baal didn't show up. And uh, Gideon got the name Jeroboam, the man who went, went against a god and won. Somebody else stood against Baal and said, if Baal be God, let him show himself to be powerful. Who was that? It was Elijah. 
uh, and so forth. And of course, he let the priests of Baal and the prophets of Baal go first. They danced around all day long. They're cutting themselves. They're bleeding. They're actually jumping on the altar that they're asking Baal to ignite with fire and that type of thing. And Elijah just sitting off to the side saying, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's taking a nap. Yell louder. So they did. Maybe he's out hunting. Call louder. So they did. I would have loved to have been there and watched Elijah in action, that type of thing. Same thing happened here, Diana. These people, if they were wise enough, would realize, well, why isn't she doing something? If she's a goddess, if she's real, why is nothing happening? Verse 35, when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper, the great goddess Diana, and of the image which fell down from Jupiter. Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, well, actually they can, you ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. If ye have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open, there are deputies, let them plead one another. But if ye inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. This town clerk must have had some power. He probably had the authority of the Roman Empire behind him. And when he made his entrance onto the stage of this massive theater, he probably had his robes of office on. Uh, oftentimes they wore heavy chains and medallions and so forth, sometimes even a crown uh, of sorts. Uh, he attracted a lot of attention. And when he beckoned with his hand, they knew they better be quiet because this guy wielded some power. This guy probably had the ability to snap his fingers and bring the Roman soldiers in on them. So they quiet down. They listen to this guy who reasons with them very, very wisely. Verse 40, he alerts them to something. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar. There being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. Rome did not like riots. They did not like protest. They did not like out of control gatherings. Rome was very jealous and careful about the consolidation of their power. And anything like that, they would easily see it as a potential uh, attempt to overthrow, if not the Roman Empire, the Romans who were in control of that, that city, that town, or that region. And the town clerk said, you, you guys, you need to understand something. We are in danger to be called in question about this. There were other instances during Rome's tenure when uh, cities revolted against Rome and Rome, Rome did not take it lightly. Uh, Rome just put forth all their might and made them an example before the rest of the Roman world and destroyed them. Can anybody name one such city? Jerusalem in 70 AD. Uh, by the time 
you may or may not know this, that uh, they finished the three and a half year siege of Jerusalem and destroyed it. They had already started in the north of Palestine and worked their way south, destroying city after city after city. And all the people fleeing the Roman armies fled into Jerusalem, hoping to be safe around the city walls only to find themselves trapped in there. Rome did not take this lightly and the town clerk warns them of it. Verse 41, and when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. And just like that, the riot that went on for two hours, great as Diana of the Ephesians, is gone. Demetrius and his crowd aren't any happier than they were before. All of those people that were there, not really knowing why they were there, maybe still just as confused as ever, and they go home. But isn't it amazing the means which God used to protect his church? Paul is safe. Gaius, Aristarchus, Alexander are safe. Now we need to stop there tonight. It is 8.02 and we do need to discuss a matter of business. But before we move forward and we walk away from the ministry at Ephesus, we need to understand that what happened there with the riot and many of the events preceding that in the course of those two years brings to mind the subject of spiritual warfare. Um, and and we're, gonna, we're gonna look at the epistle to the Ephesian church, to this very church, to the same people that were involved in all of this in Acts 19. And there's some things that I believe the Holy Spirit would have us sit up and take attention, uh, pay attention to. And we're gonna take a look at that uh, next week. We're gonna stop there just for a moment. We do need to have a brief business meeting. If you are not a member of our church, uh, you are certainly welcome to slip out. We're not gonna be long, but we certainly understand that. And um, so again, you are welcome to slip out at this time.